Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another magnificent episode of the MMA Archive. It's your boy, Christopher Negron, back again with another banger, baby. So this week, what a week, just got to say. Um, after coming off of Pride 2, I feel like really excited to see where this one went. And I swear, man, this one, this one delivered. It really delivered. The most notes I took on a fight card, you know, really, really long time. So we might be in for a long one here, but I do not mind whatsoever. I think it was worth it. Well, well worth it. So this is UFC 17 Redemption. This one took place at the Mobile Civic Center in Mobile, Alabama. Your TV announcing crew is Mike Goldberg and Jeff Blatnick, as well as your ring announcer as Bruce Buffer and your post-fight interviews being done by Joe Rogan. This one took place on May 15th, 1998, so two months after Pride 2. And what a fight card, man. What a fight card. But let me not tip anything off here. Um, the broadcast starts out actually pleading with the, the viewers and everyone watching at home to tell their local politicians that they want to be able to continue ordering MMA bouts on pay-per-view. Uh, so really showing the state of MMA at the time and the battle for legalization and acceptance, right? Um, that wasn't just hyperbole, you know, going back to John McCain almost shutting the event down. This is something that they were still battling with up until this time and even years after. So uh, really cool to see them give that shout at the, the start of the broadcast. Um, got some really dope stuff coming up on this one. There's a middleweight tournament. Once again, that's under 200 pounds, as well as three heavyweights, super fights, and a middleweight title fight right at the top uh, to cap it all off. So like I said, there's a lot of fights on this one, nine total. So let's get right into them. The first two, unfortunately, unfortunately, I stress, um, I was not able to find footage on um, these both being alternate bouts. So the first one is Chuck Liddell versus Noe Hernandez. Uh, really wish I could have saw this one and also adds to the lore, right, of how good this card is. The fact that Chuck Liddell made his debut and I didn't even get to see it. Uh, but Chuck Liddell wins via unanimous decision 12 minutes in. It was a one-minute, uh, one 12-minute round. And then the second um, alternate bout was between Andre Roberts and Harry Mos Moskowitz. Uh, Andre Roberts wins via decision at 12 minutes. So both of those fights, a uh, little longer, obviously, going the full distance, but... Um, in alternate bouts, you can't be too upset with that, right? Both middleweight um, distinctions. Uh, so I think it's important to mention that. Uh, but just like that, man, just like that, it's time to get going. So the first fight of the night, we have Dan Henderson standing at five foot 11, 193 pounds coming up against Alan Goes, who's standing at six foot one, 198 pounds. These are both guys' UFC debut. Um, and I just noted, I think this is really important to let off my chest, right? Uh, nobody can ever say that Dan Henderson was on steroids, man, because you go back to this first event 
and this dude has the exact same body he does 20 plus years later before he makes his exit out of the ufc like the dude looks exactly the same so it's kind of freaky right obviously a little more trim a little slimmer than we're used to seeing him but in general you could tell like this guy's physique did not make drastic changes even as he got older so that's really interesting to note right son you gotta you gotta give credit where it's due right i always talk about all the guys that are sauced up uh but it seems like hendo has been all natural from the beginning so round one goldberg starts the fight clowning himself by talking about how goez looks like vitor belfort Will this affect the fight? He says, I don't know. <laughs> Hilarious, bro. These are the talking points that early MMA offers us, right? Uh, Goez pumping out the jab, forces Henderson back, and eventually lands a heavy low kick as he retreats that literally turns Hendo around. Um, Hendo ends up landing a long overhand right that stuns Goez. Um, and literally throughout this whole exchange, like, that's the only punch that Hendo has thrown, right? <laughs> and Goez is Goez is active, right? He's throwing that jab out there, intercepting as Hendo's coming in, and all Hendo is throwing is that right hand. Um, they end up trading leg kicks, but Goez is the one landing harder, right? Uh, looks like a more natural kicker, and Hendo even sort of really flinches every time Goez goes to even throw that kick. Um, Hendo ends up throwing out a real lazy jab and gets sat down by a counter right hand from Goez. Uh, Goez crashes right into Hendo's guard, and then Hendo ends up, Hendo, Hendo ends up locking up a real nice heel hook. I was like, holy shit, is he gonna submit the jujitsu uh, specialist? Um, all power though. And he really like crock rolled into it, like was really trying as hard as he could uh, to rip Alan Goa's leg off the socket. Like you could tell there was a lot of torque in that, but uh, Goa's did a really good job sort of defending, rolling through and scrambling to get back to his feet. From there, Dan Henderson pressuring hard. He ends up pushing over Alan Goez and like sort of, Goez drops to the ground, lets himself fall, and then, like, eggs Hendo to jump into his guard. Hendo's like, nah, get up, bro. <laughs> get up. We're starting it back on the feet. Um, on the feet again, Goez is really diving into the clinch, trying to tie up Henderson. Um, Henderson looking for that right uppercut every time they enter the clinch and just throwing it with bad intentions, right? Every, every time he throws that right hand, he's using his other hand just to hold goes in place and then just winging it um hendo ends up reversing him onto the fence uh, and then goes pulls half guard and then eventually works his way into full um henderson doing a good job staying heavy on top holding him up, up against the fence and he starts to land some really nice elbows to goes ribs goes attacks a kimura grip from there uh, but Henderson uses that momentum to pass into side control, like right over um, the the angle, if that makes sense. So like as he's grabbing onto this arm, he just completely walks over his legs and into side control. And then um, 
just decides to get up, right? He just lets Goez go, stands up, and then you see that Goez is bleeding from his nose. I don't really know exactly what made that happen, but uh, there is some visible damage there. Back on the feet, Hendo grabbed a really nice high clinch, almost like a Muay Thai clinch, um, and landed a real strong knee to the body. And this is a beautiful sequence right here. Goez steps off to the right um, and through a hard low leg kick, Hendo gets his knee up to check. So Goez, like halfway through the kick, sort of pushes it, pulls it back. So he's not fully kicking into Henderson's shin. And then Hendo rushes him straight to the fence. And as he's rushing in, he just gets sat down by a big left hook by Alan Goez. And as uh, Henderson drops to the ground, Goez follows up with a huge soccer kick to the head while Hendo's on the ground. Hendo eats it and just goes straight into a takedown. <laughs> and then Goez wraps him up coming in into a choke. It was a really weird position, right? It was a rear naked choke grip, but from in front, like it, I wouldn't even call it an Ezekiel because Hendo is pushing in for the takedown, right? But he has the arm wrapped up like this underneath the neck, almost like a ninja choke, but from the side, like not in front of him. Um, it looked pretty tight, but as he's wrapping up the choke, uh, Joe Hamilton steps in between them and stops the fight for what I assumed would have been to DQ Goez for the kick while Henderson was a downed opponent. But there's no DQ here, literally. <laughs> Joe Hamilton just restarts him on the feet. And I was really stunned by this. I really thought, like, with the way it landed, like, it was a hard fucking kick. I thought that was going to be it. And he didn't even take a point. He just sort of restarts him back on the feet. Uh, the regulation period ends with both guys just looking pretty tired. Um, <laughs> and we're on to um, overtime, right? So overtime starts with Henderson trying to land his right hand. Um, but as he's doing that, he's really lining himself up for those leg kicks of Goez. Goez does a really good job pushing him away as Hendo's trying to rush in to grab the clinch. Eventually, Hendo lands a nice uppercut um, and Goez counters with the left hook. So these guys are just exchanging on the feet. Um Goez does the thing again where he drops to the ground and tries to play guard. Hendo says, get your ass back up. <laughs> Goez starts going forward and lands two nice jabs that forces Hendo to tie up in the clinch. Hendo throws a big elbow but misses and then lands a, a nice uppercut with that same right hand. Once again, you could really see even back then it was right hand or bust for a lot of guys in the UFC at this point, but definitely for Henderson. Um, when they tie up, Goez's glove actually comes off. And I, it took me a while to see this. I had to rewind it a couple of times. So I'm like, why did it come out? I can't even really tell you why it came out. Um, but they end up taking a minute to sort of set everything back up to put the glove back on. So they were like really milking this. This sort of reminded me of like the Yoel Romero stool gate against Tim Kennedy, right? Where... Um, he's really tired visibly, and then he's using this foul like as a moment to take his time. 
and uh, take advantage, right, of the time off. So his his court is putting on the glove, and he's doing the O.J. Simpson bit where he's <laughs> he's like holding his hand like this so that the glove isn't going on properly. And then he's just looking at his coach like, why can't you put it on? Meanwhile, his hand is like <laughs> just hilarious, bro. I found this moment hilarious. I was like, I really can't believe a Joe Hamilton isn't like forcing him to go faster. Um, and B that he's literally here milking this as much as he can. Hilarious. Um, eventually they get it taped up and back to the action. And there's only 30 seconds left in this overtime period. After all of that, uh, Goez lands a nice low kick and then Hendo just charges forward, ends up tying up goes with his left hand and unloading a bunch of uppercuts that really hurts Alan Goez in the last couple seconds here. He rushes forward right into a nasty left hook by Goez, but then says, fuck it. Um, I need to keep going. Lands a step in elbow and two clinch uppercuts that drops Goez really hard. You could tell he was hurt, uh, but Hendo doesn't follow him. He lets him up and there's about 15 seconds left, but then Joe Hamilton separates them. And it looks like it was for a foul or something. Like you couldn't exactly tell why, but he was keeping them apart. And as he's doing that, there's the time on the clock is still going and eventually you hear the bell sound. So I'm like, what the fuck? Like this is just odd refereeing throughout this entire bout. First, I thought he was going to get DQ'd. And now this, like, what the fuck is <laughs> what's happening here? Um, Dan Henderson ends up going on to win the unanimous decision, but I was really surprised, man. I thought up until he dropped him that, for the most part, Goez was really in control of this fight off the back foot, just sort of countering him as he entered and landing the more impactful strikes throughout the fight, even though Hendo had some moments of top control and stuff like that. Um, I really thought this was Goez's fight to lose. So seeing him get flurried on at the end of the fight and that being the deciding factor was really surprising for me. It never really felt like Dan Henderson was ever in control during this fight. And that flurry at the end is really what got him the decision for sure. Um, if I'm not mistaken, this was a unanimous decision too. So it wasn't even close on the cards. I thought it should have been closer. Um, but really fun fight, right? Even though this fight was a little listless at times, um, the stylistic matchup, I didn't think it was going to play out that way. You could really see Hendo a little bit green in the striking phases of things and go as a really formidable, well-rounded mixed martial artist, uh, hard to find at this stage of people's career. So that was pretty dope, man. First, uh, semi-final bout, right, of the middleweight tournament, um, Dan Hendo passes through with blind colors. So next up. We've got Bob Gilstrap versus Carlos Newton. Bob Gilstrap is standing at six foot two, 199 pounds, while Carlos Newton is 5'9, 187. Uh, but chiseled, man. Chiseled. <laughs> um, Gilstrap is fighting out of the same camp as Maurice Smith and Frank Shamrock, the Lions Den. Um, while Bob Gilstrap is seven and two in MMA fights, but he's well, both of these guys are making their UFC debut here. 
Carlos is only two and one at this point of his MMA career. Um, but he gives a nice shout out um, in the interview to Miyota Musashi, which I thought was hilarious. Um, so just real old school martial arts vibes for this one, you know. Um, this one's also refereed by Joe Hamilton. This is the second semifinal bout of the middleweight tournament. And the first thing I noted was these the, the size discrepancy in this matchup was huge. Like Gilstrap, a little skinny and lanky, but just much larger than Carlos Newton. Carlos comes out being very elusive from far away, just sort of baiting, trying to keep him at range, but gauge his reactions. He eventually grabs a double leg, lifts Gilstrap off the fucking ground, and slams him right into side control. I was like, damn, like that was a that was a really big slam uh for someone that's much bigger than you. Like he just ragdolled him. I was like, holy shit. Uh he transitions pretty smoothly into full mount. Is looking to isolate that far side arm. Newton lands some punches. Gilstrap causes him. Well, not causes him. Gilstrap is forced to turn. And then Newton attacks the arm bar and it's deep. Uh, he almost secures it, but Gilstrap rolls through and ends up on top. Newton still has the arm. And then he wraps up a triangle from there um, on his back at this point. <laughs> and... That's a wrap, son. Huge, huge UFC debut for Carlos Newton, securing a triangle choke at 52 seconds of the very first round. Holy shit. Like, just athletic, powerful, and quick on the ground. Like, really adept. Knew exactly what he was going for as soon as he hit the mat and fucking executed, man. Shout out to Carlos Newton. Uh, so the finals of the middleweight tournament is going to be Dan Henderson versus Carlos Newton. Keep in mind, Hendo went the full distance and Carlos Newton only took 52 seconds to choke this guy out. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting uh, middleweight tournament final whenever we do get there. So next up, the third fight of the night is a heavyweight super fight between Mike Van Ardsdale and Joe Pardo. Um, this is the point of, of MMA history where all of these guys look like legit athletes, right? Like they don't look like um, just some random dude <laughs> in the parking lot that was willing to fight, right? Both of these guys, well-built, respectable martial artists, so to speak. Um, these are both guys, UFC debut. Mike Van Arsdale is fighting out of Mark Coleman's gym, Hammer House MMA. He is 3-0 at this point, but obviously making his UFC debut here. He's also an NCAA champion in wrestling. I thought that was important to note. Uh, Joe Pardo is 13-0 in MMA, uh, which is surprising in this era to have such a good record, right? Um, and not be heard of up to this point. Like, I wonder where he was fighting. Um, but... Mike Van Arsdale, six foot two, two hundred twenty-three pounds, a lot more physically built than Joe Pardo. Joe Pardo is six foot two hundred fourteen. Um, Big John McCarthy is the ref on this one, and I thought it was hilarious. Right at the start of the fight, you see Rogan in the crowd, and it, the dude looks like he's just so fucking happy to be there. Like he's so pumped for this fight to start. Like he knows something that we don't. Kind of looked a little creepy, like with his hair, like 
Joe Rogan with the hair, I'm not going to lie, he might be a little creepier than when he went bald. And that's probably weird to hear, but look it up, man. Old school uh, fear factor Joe Rogan uh, looked a little on the, on, the, on the suspect side, if you ask me. But anyway, MVA is what I'm going to refer to Mike Van Arsdale as, so don't get lost on this one. Uh, but this was really fun. He comes out in Southpaw, right? lands a power jab right off the start of the fight and then as soon as he lands it he switches back to orthodox right and you're like what the what's the plan here right and from the orthodox stands he's just winging low kicks cracking them with low kicks um pardo ends up shooting on that leg that he kicks out but uh mark van arsdale sprawls really hard ends up landing some elbows to the body peppering him up while he's in that sprawl position um pardo tries to fall back and lock up full guard but mva just stands up he wants nothing to do with the ground really good prevent defense at this point for mva um mva ends another body kick from that orthodox position and then switches again to land the power jab so i thought it was really cool to note like both of these stances are doing very different things but it's really cool to see him build a game around sort of creating these openings, right? If you're in Southpaw facing another orthodox fighter, your right hand is your money punch. It's right in front of your opponent. So whenever you get it out there, obviously it's going to be powerful. So just really, even though it's not technically sound, right? It isn't the most beautiful punches that I'm seeing. It isn't the most technical strikes, uh, but it's really cool to see someone construct a game where, from each stance, you have different objectives, and you sort of confuse your opponent by that, right? You're you're getting them used to one thing, and then you switch over to the other and do something else. Um, Mike Van Arnzo lands a hard kick to the lower leg, but it looks like he sort of hurt himself. Like he lands his, after he lands the kick, his kick, his kick, his foot hits the ground, and then he like reaches for his leg. Like it was, it was weird. Felt like he might have hurt himself there landing that kick. And then from there, they ended up in a wild sort of back and forth exchange. Nobody really landing anything flush, uh, but really going after it as far as throwing punches. Eventually, Mike Van Arsdale lands a couple hard right hands. And then Pardo counters with some nice left hooks. Uh, so just very active, right? Active exchanges on the feet. Mike Van Arsdale posts on the fence which is hilarious, just puts his hand, like backs up onto it, puts his hand on the fence, looks at his opponent and throws a sidekick right to the body that drops Pardo. Just a really weird boxy sequence. If you see it, it's like, that looked kind of fake. Like, I'm not going to lie. There was ever a time I'm like, oh, that was kind of sus. It was it was right there. Um, but Mike Van Arsdale gets on top in half guard. Pardo's looking for a leg lock from there, but he can't really extend because Mike Van Arsdale's up against the fence. Once again, he grabbed it when he dropped him. Um, so just hilarious that they ended up in that position and sort of stuck. Pardo ends up landing a big left hand from his back, and it just pisses Mike Van Arsdale off, right? Mike Van Arsdale postures up. Pardo attacks the heel hook again. Uh, Mike Van Arsdale steps over that, though, and starts landing big bombs, securing top position in Pardo's guard once again. Um, Pardo's doing a really good job of preventing him from advancing just by sort of staying in place and um, 
attacking these submissions in the interim, right? Giving him something to think about so that he can't continue just bombing off on him. Pardo's looking a little distracted, though, on the feet. Like he's almost looking out the cage, like at his corner, like to try to get an idea of what they're saying to him. In my opinion, that's never really a good look. Like you should be able to compartmentalize that and understand what they're saying while you're paying attention to your opponent, right? You don't want to take your hand, your eyes away from your opponent, uh, especially when they're coming to take your head off. Um, Mike Van Arsdale ends up landing two nice right hands. Pardo started to look gassed on the feet, just literally hands on his knees, using the fence to hold him up. Um, Mike Van Arsdale lands a nice body kick from there, and Pardo shoots in and ends up on the bottom in guard again. Mike Van Arsdale looking to land some ground and pound, gets a nice elbow in, but then Big John stops the action in order to fix Mike Van Arsdale's glove because the pinky portion came out. Hilarious. And once again, I don't mind stopping the action to do this, but Big John just starts him back up on the feet, and it's like, man, you just took away his position because he had a wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> Literally, that's exactly what it is. Uh, I don't agree with that, and I can't wait till we start seeing them restart them back in the positions that they were in before the separation because it's like just letting him off the hook, literally. Um, Mike Van Arzel ends up landing another hard low kick. You see Pardo's really slowing down at this point. MVA starts overextending with that southpaw jab and gets countered over the top with a big left hook that literally makes Mike Van Arzio take a few steps back. Like it was a it was a really hard punch. And Mike <laughs> and then Pardo follows up by shooting for a takedown. And I literally wrote here, like, why? Because <laughs> he gets sprawled on and ends up on the bottom again. Um, he looks really exhausted, and Mike Van Arzel just lets him get back up. Pardo shoots again, again, in the sprawl cycle. MVA starts landing some big elbows to the lungs once again. Pardo tries to scramble up, but Mike Van Arzel swims into side control. Pardo gives up his back, and then Mike Van Arzel starts landing bombs to the head from Turtle. Uh, Pardo looking for that leg lock again, but Mike Van Arzo is just hammering, um, hammering him from on top. Mark Van Arzo eventually opts to stack him and land big shots. Pardo puts his feet on his hips, but Mike Van Arzo just tosses him to the side and starts landing elbows from side control. And then eventually from that side control position, he wraps up in a beautiful way, man. Check this out if you can. Um the arm that's on the same side as his elbow, if that makes sense. So the far, the far side right arm of Pardo as he's on the ground and locks up an Americana, which is when it's basically like a Kimura, but the opposite way. So Kimura's this way, right? Hope you can see that. I, I'm not even looking at myself right now. So Kimura's this way, right? So they're bringing the elbow and the shoulder this way. Americana's this way. So you're on the ground and Kind of hard to explain, I will admit. Kind of hard to explain. But you get your arm through, and then you post on the opposite side. So it's kind of like a, the only way I could describe it is almost like a, a paintbrush grip. Same same thing you would do with a sort of um, Americana if you were on the ground. But 
it's different because Americana on the ground is up this way while this one was across the side. Uh, but it's an Americana nonetheless. It's not a Kimura. It's listed on um, topology as a Kimura, but it isn't. Uh, so shout out to Mike Van Arzel for getting that Americana submission at 11 minutes and one second. Um, love to see those fights have a lot take place, uh, but not go the distance, right? Um, decisive finishes despite parody in the fight itself. Got to get a sip of this coffee, right? That is good stuff. Okay. Next up, our fourth fight of the night, our second heavyweight super fight. This one is between Hugo Duarte, who is six foot, 227 pounds, and the UFC's bad boy, David Tank Abbott standing at six foot 250 pounds hugo duarte is six and oh in mma but making his ufc debut tank abbott is seven and six in the ufc at this point holds the record for having the most fights in the ufc and his last fight took place at ufc 15.5 ultimate japan where he was able to get a knockout and get back on track so really excited to see tank abbott back in the octagon as he's making his way out to the cage, man, fans are literally grabbing him. Like, you can tell he's a fan favorite, um, touching him as he walks by, grabbing his face and trying to turn him to them. And you can see he's looking pissed. Like, he's he's mad that people are doing that, but not making it too much of a fuss out of it. Uh, but I thought it was notable that they are going out of their way, right, to grab him like that, which is fucking hilarious. Um Let's get right into it. So, Big John is the ref for this one again. Hugo starts off immediately shooting from a double from way far away. Uh, Tank, Tank Abbott did a great job staying on his feet, keeping him in that sprawl position. Excuse me. Tank Abbott opens up, throwing some winging hooks. Hugo shoots again, but this time against the fence and is deep under the butt. Uh, but you can see Tate got some heavy hips, man. I don't know how the fuck, I don't know how he didn't get taken down here. Like, he stood up right using the fence, but I really don't know how he didn't get taken down. Like, it was deep, and he just locked up and was like, nah, you're not taking me down. Um Hugo eventually switches to an outside single leg and does get Tank Abbott down. Um, Tank Abbott shrimps and then gives up his back, right? So Hugo Duarte is on his back now. He ends up pretty high up, though, towards the neck. So he ends up transitioning to an arm bar. Tank follows through with it, and it's extended. Like, you can see it. It's extended. But because he followed through and stood tight with it, um, he's able to stack it and then eventually get his arm free. Um, Hugo ends up on bottom and turtle. And Tank starts landing some big left hands. And then he grabs Hugo's left wrist, right? And starts pulling it back, like up, up towards the ceiling, like this. And just landing big right hands over and over and over and over again. Um, some of these shots landed to the back of the head, uh, but nothing was really said about it, right? It's just keep doing what you got to do. Um, Tank just molly whopping him cracking him over and over again pulling his arm further behind his back 
and just pummeling his head into the canvas until he forces Big John to stop it at 43 seconds. Man, like, Tank Abbott is that dude. Like, he is killer be killed, the definition of it, and just a nasty motherfucker. Like, we already knew this, right? But just a nasty motherfucker, bro. Shout out to shout out to Tank Abbott. Uh, another big, huge uh, KO victory. And then literally after um, Big John already stopped the fight, Tank lands an extra greasy, just knee to the body as he's standing up. Like he stands up, bah, knees him, and then just stands up. And as soon as he stands up, you know how usually they go, they show the winner at the front? Nah. Tank, Tank just leaves, bro. He just walks right out of the cage and just fucking leaves. Everyone's going crazy. They're trying to, like, dap him up on the way out, and he's just gone, bro. Shout out to Tank. That was that was gangster, bro. Just smoke this dude in 43 seconds, walk out the cage. I'll see you later. Don't, no need to talk to you guys. It's over. It's over. <laughs> um, Joe Rogan ends up interviewing Campbell McLaren. Uh, shout out to Campbell McLaren. He's currently running an MMA promotion, actually, called Combache, which is just, for those that are unaware, combat in Spanish. Um, <laughs> and it mostly features Spanish uh, heritage fighters and gives them those spotlights. A lot of fun fights. Shout out to Campbell McLaren. Uh, but in this interview, actually, he's introduced as the race director for SEG Motorsports, and he's promoting his own pay-per-view show called Street Legal, relating everything to these MMA fights, but apparently it's um, street legal race cars and racing. Um, can't can't believe that's actually pay-per-view, but apparently it's that deep. So yeah, they were giving another shout to another pay-per-view entity on the broadcast. Imagine that. Imagine that today. I mean, we see it every fucking event with advertisements for movies and things like that. But another pay-per-view event? Not really. So I thought that was pretty funny. And the fact that it's Joe Rogan and Campbell McLaren, right? Um, we'd love to see him on the JRE one day, though, right? That'd be cool. Uh, anyway. Next up, our fifth fight of the night, our middleweight tournament final. Mess, you heard that right. Middleweight tournament final. Between Dan Henderson, 5'11", 193 pounds, and Carlos Newton, 5'9", 187. Big John, the ref for this one. Carlos opens up with a nice uppercut to the body and then a right hook upstairs, just hooking. Like, you, you love to see those alternating hooks, right? Because you get them thinking low, and then you come right immediately back up on the same side high. Uh, something that you've seen from so many great boxers, really. Um Ward comes to mind. I don't know why, but Mickey Ward. Shout out Mickey Ward. Um, this this nice little hook combination backs up Henderson. Uh, Henderson grabs a, a clinch briefly up against the fence and then disengages. Carlos lands a nice leg kick and then a left and a right hook sequentially that drops Henderson. And I was like, holy shit. Uh, Big John steps between them and literally says that's it, but doesn't step like doesn't step in to stop the fight. But he says that's it, and Carlos sort of steps back for a second. I was so surprised by that. I'm like, what the fuck? Say that's it, but then you don't jump in. Like I don't know, was that like you encouraging them? Like that's it. That's how you do it. Like I don't know what the hell that was. That was super weird. Um, but Henderson took advantage, shoots for a double, and gets it. 
tried to powerbomb him on his head, literally, uh, but Carlos Nguyen rolled through with it. And then once he landed, wrapped up a guillotine, Hendo did a beautiful job stepping over the legs immediately, so he's safe in that position. <laughs> Hendo staying heavy on top, landing right hands, of course. Uh, Carlos is defending well, maintaining his guard, trying to work towards submissions. Eventually, Hendo lands a nice, big elbow, and then Carlos tries to sweep from there. Uh, Henderson holds that top position, staying heavy, battering Carlos, and then Big John stops the fight with Hendo on top. Because, listen to this one, Carlos Newton told him that he never had his mouthpiece in his mouth, right? This is like three minutes into the fight, bro, <laughs> after being on bottom. So Big John's trying to rush him, right? But even then, he's still asked by his corner, like, where's the mouthpiece? So he puts the mouthpiece in, and then you see Carlos Newton with the mouthpiece in. He's still talking to the corner, like, as if something's wrong with the mouthpiece, like if it doesn't fit right or something. So fucking strange. And as he's talking to them, it cuts away because Big John is now facing Hendo and asking him if he's ready. And Carlos Newton is just talking it like, what the fuck is wrong with the mouthpiece? Why did you not have it? How did it take you this long to notice? Don't you get inspected on the way in? Like so many questions and just hilarious that he could call his own timeout and get it. And then they start the fight back on the feet. Like they, they don't give him back the position because Carlos's team failed to put in his mouthpiece. That's egregious, bro. That, that's that's cheating. That's as far as cheating as you can get. Uh, but hey, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, right? Carlos Newton ends up throwing a hard right hand that just barely misses. Henderson counters with a big right that hurts uh, Carlos Newton. Hendo goes to throw the same punch again, and then Carlos picks him up and lands another smooth double leg right into side control. Henderson stays busy, turns to his back facing away, and then forces his way back to the feet. Um, beautiful scramble there from Hendo at uh, the just the right moment to prevent uh, big control time for Carlos Newton. Carlos tries to throw a kick, but Henderson ends up blasting him with a big right hand. Carlos is forced to get back to a clinch and then literally drags Hendo to the mat. Um, Henderson wraps up a front headlock from there, uses it to get back to his feet, and immediately starts throwing punches from the clinch. Hendo does a really good job of keeping him upright with his left shoulder driving into Carlos's face up against the fence. Eventually, Hendo throws a big right elbow. Carlos ducks under it. And then, like, because his head is now lower, Hendo grabs his head and just literally lands, and I counted this, 15 knees to the head in a row. Some of them are blocked and don't fully get to the face because he has his hands in front of his face. But still was a crazy exchange, right? Just in the same position, yeah, throwing that knee over and over again. Uh, really wild, <laughs> really wild. Um, and then they end up back on the feet, just exchanging hooks. And I wrote here in all cap, like, what a fucking fight. Like, these dudes are letting it all out there in all phases of the game. Uh, this is what you love to see, especially at a finals uh, bout for the tournament, right? It felt like they were fighting for something out there. And you don't always get that feeling even in high profile fights like this. Henzo and Henzo. Why do I keep calling him Henzo? Henzo Gracie last episode, I guess. Hendo 
uh, gets the front headlock and lands another nice knee to the face. Carlos drops to his back. Hendo almost gets right into side control, but Carlos does a really good job keeping his feet underneath the hips and then regains his full guard. Henderson inching him closer to the fence and punching him whenever he gets a chance on the way. After some time, Henderson lets him get back up. Carlos leads with his hands and lands a heavy low kick that literally almost drops Dan Henderson. Like you see it lands and then his whole body shifts. Um, at this point, man, he really needs to work on taking those low leg kicks because every time he gets hit, it just looks so bad. Like it looks like it's the worst possible thing that could happen to him. And once it lands, it's, it's impactful um, in this fight and the previous fight. So Henderson ends up clinching. Uh, Carlos shucks him off to the side and lands some big hooks and then follows up with the knee to the head. Hendo looks staggered a little bit, takes a step back and literally slips on the mat where it says redemption in big letters. And I thought this was important because he was a little dazed, right? But he wasn't falling. And then as soon as he steps on that R, he just fucking falls face first, which is so weird. Like, just picture that. Let me make sure I could see myself for this. So he he's walking backwards, right? So imagine this. And then his foot steps on the R, and then he goes forward. Like, he falls this way. Um, just a really weird sequence. Shows you how slippery the canvas can be, right? Uh, when you have all these different logos there. But from there, Hendo grabs a John Smith low single. Shout out John Smith, uh, which is literally just an ankle pick where you're on the Achilles, like you're that far low to the ground, right? And gets it, <laughs> which I was fucking pumped for. I was like, holy shit, I get to shout out the John Smith low single on the show. Um, and then he posts on his head. This was hilarious. Posts on his head in order to flip sides and end up on top. So, like, posts on his head to clear the legs and get up over inside control. Hilarious. Um, and I don't think it was on purpose, right? It was just sort of rolling through with the momentum. But it was just so funny to see him do a full headstand, like... <laughs> no arms involved, just on his head. Um, Carlos Newton throwing shots off his back, and Goldberg said, uh, Goez is throwing big shots off his back, which I found so hilarious. Like, I know he fought Alan Goez earlier, but come on, dude. First you saying Goez looks like Vitor. Now you're calling Carlos Newton Goez. Uh, just terrible. Uh, terrible. This is the first time I noticed Big um, Big John. Uh, Mike Goldberg saying some ridiculous things on the broadcast, which is hilarious. Uh, much more to come in the following years, for sure. <laughs> Carlos Newton trying to get a sweep again, works his way into full guard, and then Hendo stays on top for the rest of the regulation period. So let me take a sip of water here before we get into overtime. Refreshing, refreshing. Okay. Overtime. Carlos immediately pressuring in Dan Henderson's face. And lands a right body kick and then a left head kick. Flush to Dan Henderson's chin. Flush. I have no idea 
how he stood on his feet. Like, just ate it, son. <laughs> um, Hendo ends up lifting his knee to check an incoming kick. Carlos fakes low and throws a huge right hook that wobbles Hendo. So this is the second time now he really has Henderson hurt. I don't know how the hell he never fell in this sequence. He stood on his feet, but is just running away, sort of dazed. Carlos is pressuring heavy, um, but runs right into a double leg takedown. Carlos trying to attack a Kimura from bottom, tries to use it to sweep, but Henderson is doing a really good job, was aware of it, clears the submission to that left side, and then stays on top. Henderson starts landing some big right hands, and then both guys get up to their feet right before the bell rings. Once again, just a hell of a fight, right? One of the best fights I've seen up to this point watching fights for the MMA archive. Like, th this was a well-rounded fight with a bunch of momentum swings. Um, I came away from it feeling like Hendo won with damage and control, but the biggest punches and biggest moments of the fight were Carlos Newton hurting Dan with that head kick and that right hook. So just really cool to see um, right after all that craziness, uh, just great respect shown after the fight. Uh, you love to see it. So it comes down to a decision after the overtime period. Judo Jean LaBelle, RIP, he recently passed away, uh, scores the fight for Carlos Newton. Tony Mullinex scores it for Dan Henderson. And the dissenting judge, Michael DePasquale Jr., scores it for Dan Henderson. And he takes the middleweight tournament. Hell of a fight, man. Hell of a fight. I need to reiterate that because just an awesome fight. Parody. Something we was very rare at this point in the UFC. And two guys really in their prime uh, performing in their respective debuts, right? So... Uh, cannot hate on either guy's performance in that one. Next up, the sixth fight of the night. I mean, technically it's the eighth, but sixth actual fight that was aired on the <laughs> on the pay-per-view, right? Um, heavyweight main event, they were calling this, between Pete Williams and Mark Coleman. Pete Williams standing at six foot three, two hundred and twenty nine pounds. Mark Coleman six foot one, two hundred and forty pounds. Uh, Pete Williams making his UFC debut here. He is three and zero in MMA, fighting out of the Lions Den. While Mark Coleman is six and one, once again fighting out of Hammer House MMA. Two major teams here, which you love to see, going after it. Uh, so let's get right into it. Coleman shoots him for a single leg gets stuffed. Pete clinches up with Coleman from there and ends up getting pushed back onto the fence. Pete lands some nice shots to the body while there, but then Coleman secures the double leg. As he lifts, Pete holds literally on the outside of the cage like this, stops all the momentum for the slam. It would have been a big one, but of course, um, you can do that, apparently. I've learned in this event, I don't know when they changed this because I remember Holding the fence on the ground is illegal, but they changed it so that while attacking um, takedowns, you can hold the fence, which I did not know. Um, super weird, super hard to enforce, and I guess makes sense why they allow guys to do that if that's the rule. But it's a stupid rule. <laughs> like 
you're literally disincentivizing wrestlers because if they're against the fence at all, all you have to do is hold the fence and you're not going to get taken down or, or at least you're going to make it 10 times harder to take it down or to take them down. English, you know, we got to use it sometimes. Um, Pete Williams lands some nice shots to the body, but um, Coleman eventually sucks in Pete's hips from there. <laughs> And takes him down, landing in half guard. It was a big slam after pulling him away from the fence. Um, Coleman posting with his left forearm across the chin in order to land right-hand shots. As he's doing that, Pete actually snatches up that left forearm and starts attacking an armbar. Coleman does a really good job of rolling through, but barely keeping his arm out of the danger zone. Like his, It wasn't in the fulcrum point because you need to have the hips past the elbow, right, in order to get that proper leverage on the elbow. Um, but it was outstretched the entire time, which is good technique beyond not being deep enough, if that makes sense. Coleman ends up landing a big right hand when he finally frees his arm and then just starts going to work, dudding shots, constantly putting his weight over Pete, posting on his face and then just cracking him like really like brutal ground and pound nasty um and then controlling him in the interim pete is mushed up against the fence gripping it but mark coleman is just using his forearm holding the fence and just cracking him from there uh landing some nice shots the ribs coming back up to the head uh, but you could see Coleman also is someone that favors his right hand, right? He's grabbing with the left and then throwing with the right, um, but just smashing Pete Williams up against the fence. Finally, Big John separates them after a little bit of a stalemate, uh, but I didn't really disagree with I Well, I didn't disagree. I didn't really agree with this uh, because Coleman was being very dominant on top, landing big shots. It wasn't like he was just sitting there. There was a little bit of a lull in the action before they got separated, but I think the damage alone should have warranted keeping that position. Whatever. Pete literally walks up to Coleman, all lazy, right? All lazy. Coleman fakes a level change and lands a huge overhand right that cracks Pete Williams, leaves him staggering back a little bit. Uh, but Pete does a nice job of recovering because Coleman at this point is tired. Uh, so even though he cracked him and landed that hard, he didn't even follow up at all. He stood against the fence. Uh, so then Pete just said, all right, I'm going to start pressuring you again. Then uh, pressures Coleman against the fence. He's fainting his jab nicely uh, to try and land his straight right hand. So really setting that up, not really throwing jabs, but pumping it out, right? Giving him something to think about, getting him something to react to, and then coming over the top of that straight right, trying to, crack him with it eventually coleman steps forward and lands a nice right hook that forces pete back once again but pete's just doing his thing on the feet man i like i like pete's game on the feet because it isn't it isn't high tech right but it is very distracting especially to someone who's a wrestler and isn't used to being pressured like that and even though he keeps uh, Mark Coleman, that is, landing big shots against Pete, he can't keep him off of him, right? So it's just very mentally exhausting. Pete's just getting cracked, but keeps coming forward um, and pushing Coleman back into the fence. 
Coleman lands a nice left hook at the same time that Pete lands a hard right low kick. Um, Pete starts fainting that that hard right hand again. So you're just fainting it and then throwing right low kicks right off of that. Lands it big time. Uh, but I'm noticing because he's not really committing to the jab, there's times when Mark Coleman doesn't even react to it. Like he just he just lets the the fake faint come to him and then gets out of the way of the right hand that follows it. So he's kind of picking up on the tells of Pete Williams, so to speak. Um, Coleman lands a slick double leg, uh, but Pete ends up giving his back and scrambles back to his feet from there. Coleman lands some nice shots to the head, but Pete stands up. Coleman ends up landing two hard uppercuts up against the fence, one with each hand, while Pete is facing the outside of the fence. So he's facing the fence like this. Coleman's on his back, lands those uppercuts, and then um, Coleman ends up pulling him off the fence again, but Pete Williams straight up held it, like, with both hands. <laughs> and Big John didn't say shit. Just let it happen. Um, and I found it hilarious that the commentary actually starts critiquing Mark Coleman for continuing to attack for the takedown, despite Pete Williams doing something that I thought was illegal. Like, I don't understand how you're critiquing him when he's not the one doing something wrong, right? I mean, I get the point. Like, you're going to tire yourself out doing it. Um, but just funny, right? The, the way that looks. That, that'll never happen today in MMA. Like, if you're doing that... That's egregious enough to take a point, and they don't take points for anything. So that's how that's how serious the cage grabbing was in this one. Uh, Coleman somehow manages to pull him off the fence and secure the takedown, and stay on top for the rest of regulation. Let me get some water before we get into overtime here. So overtime starts with Pete Williams walking right over to Mark Coleman, who is still up against the fence. <laughs> and then he flashes that jab again, lands a big right low kick. Uh, and then Pete, you can see he's just going after it, starts throwing a bunch of combinations, lands two right straights and then a right uppercut that hurts Mark Coleman. Coleman shoots in for a takedown, but gets shucked off. And then Pete landed a beautiful one too, committed to that jab. Ba-bing. Hurts him again. Coleman shoots for a double again. Uh, Pete Williams sprawls and then grabs grabs his head on the way up, landing a thudding knee. And then Coleman looks him in the face and just goes, no. Like, <laughs> bro, we all saw that. Like, you can't just say no. Um, it didn't happen. Like, we all saw you get cracked, dude. Like, I love it, though. I love it, though. Savage. Just a savage move there. Um, and from there, back on the feet, Pete is flashing that jab again. And then he, beautiful. This is so beautiful. Fakes out that jab. And the, Mark Coleman moves to the side. And then Pete Williams just throws a high kick that he didn't throw the entire fight. It's been all low leg kicks. Throws a high kick that slaps Coleman right across the face and just knocks him out cold at 12 minutes and 38 seconds, 38 seconds into um, overtime. Holy shit. What a comeback. Like, what a comeback. Um, it wasn't that this level 
of comeback, but this this really reminded me of the recent fight with Leon Edwards and uh, Kamar Usman. Uh, again, a comeback knockout that is just shocking, right? Uh, Pete had some more moments of momentum in the fight, which is why it doesn't exactly feel like a carbon copy of that. Um, but couldn't believe that he was able to come back like that, that drastically and get him out there with such a vicious head kick. We've all seen this head kick, right? Uh, but seeing everything Pete Williams had to get through to get to that moment, uh, much respect to Pete Williams, man. This was a dog fight and he really had to earn it and did just that. So shout out to Pete Williams. And now, let me get comfortable here. Let me get comfortable here. Falling into my seat. Our main event. The ninth fight of the night in total. Jeremy Horn, standing at six foot one, 199 pounds, coming up against Frank Shamrock, who is standing at 5'10", 192 pounds. Jeremy Horn is making his UFC debut. Um, fighting out of the same team as Jerry Bolander. He is, excuse me, 9-2-3 and three in MMA, while Frank Shamrock is 2-0 and oh in the UFC. They don't give his full MMA record, but Frank, obviously, the defending middleweight champion in this one. Let's get right into it. Jeremy Horn, heavy on his front foot in a boxing stance. Frank Shamrock immediately picks up on it and starts chopping that lead leg. Um, Frank ends up throwing a front kick. Horn snatches his foot midair before it even touches him and slams him from there. Beautiful takedown. Gets top position, almost in the crucifix. And Frank trying to explode up quickly. Finds himself in north-south. Um, trying to be active on the ground, landing knees and elbows from the bottom. Uh, but Jeremy's doing a really good job of staying on top and controlling the positions um, where you could see that Frank is just trying to do something big to get up to his feet and scramble out. Uh, but Jeremy really blankets him on top and ends up nicely inside control. Um, from there, Frank tries to sweep him but can't fully roll him over. And Jeremy Horn ends up in full amount. Uh, Frank Shamrock angles his feet towards the cage, right, to try and push it off. So he's climbing the fence to try to push off the fence. But Jeremy feels it and then sort of jumps up, pushes him towards the center of the cage. Crafty, crafty stuff there from Jeremy Horn. Um, Jeremy's in control in full mount. But then Frank grabs double underhooks from bottom and just shifts his hips and uh, sweeps Jeremy Horn from from underneath on full mount. Um, in that transition, Jeremy Horn almost got an armbar, uh, but Frank drops down from a leg lock after he's able to free his arm. The leg lock was pretty deep, uh, but Jeremy Horn did a really nice job of scrambling out and getting back on top into Frank Sh uh, Shamrock's guard. Jeremy lands two nice left elbows from there. And then Frank scoots his shoulders to the fence, which I immediately, I was like, wall walk? Are we wall walking? Are we wall walking in 1998? Uh, sadly, no, we're not. 
as soon as his shoulders touch the fence, he inverts to put his feet on the fence again to try to push off. Um, after some minutes, though, of being controlled on top, Big John finally restarts them on the feet. Frank Shamrock, urgent after being on his back for six minutes, really pressuring hard. Uh, Jeremy lands a nice chopping low kick as Frank tries to sep um, close the distance, not separate. Um, he then throws a low leg kick that Frank Shamrock checks and then immediately lands a quick right head kick, like almost a, uh, or a head kick counter, right? Um, and Jeremy Horn acknowledged it and literally gave him a two thumbs up, like, hey, you, you got me, which I thought was hilarious. Um, Jeremy then lands a nice jab and a right low kick to the body and then turns the corner to get Frank's back on the feet. Uh, Frank does a really good job of turning into Jeremy, but then gets trip takedown. And Jeremy in full mount once again. Instead of double unders this time, though, Frank Shamrock just grabs a hold of Jeremy's head, right? Keeps it close to his chest and then lands that same exact sweep, just turns his hips over and gets out of that terrible position. Uh, you got to be strong as hell to do that. Just just reiterating that. Jeremy Horn, though, has a really good guard, defensively and offensively, and he lands an elbow and then immediately wraps up an overhook on the left arm of Frank Shamrock, looking to set up that arm bar on the left-hand side. Frank landing some nice body-head combinations. Eventually, he drops back to attack a leg lock, and then they both scramble into their back on their feet. Just, uh, once again, a hell of a fight. Like, so much action, and this is only, what? At this point, 10 minutes into the fight. Like, so many things have happened. Shout out to the middleweights, man. I'm loving this division. So Jeremy ends up shooting for a single leg takedown. Frank Shamrock wraps up a guillotine, uh, but Jeremy does a good job of stepping over so he's safe. <clears throat> Shamrock held on to it tight, though, and this is such a weird position, so try to imagine this for me. He has the guillotine in that position, doesn't get it. Jeremy Horn gets up over on top of him, ends up sort of in a guard position, but Frank Shamrock still has the choke. And then as Shamrock is now being put on his back, he just goes, nope, and turns back up on his feet and then ends up on top, like in that guillotine position. I'm like, how the fuck did he not lose it? Like in that transition, uh, must have had a hell of a grip on it. But as soon as they got to that spot where it looks like he can actually attack it again, um, Shamrock, not Shamrock, sorry, Jeremy Horn's head pops out. So just hell of a transition there. I don't know if that even is transferable, but please uh, watch these fights. It's so so dope, so dope. Um, Jeremy ends up the round, ends up on top to end the round. So for title fights, regulation is 15 minutes, and then there are two three-minute overtime periods. So this is the first overtime period. Jeremy Horn lands a nice outside calf kick and then shoots for a takedown, but he eats a knee to the head on his way down. Um, Horn does have his hands locked up, though, for the takedown, brings him to the fence, and then Frank grabs the fence to hold himself up. Once again, just 
egregious with it. It's just egregious with it. Uh, Jeremy from that position though has his back um, standing and then lands a really beautiful trip takedown where he gets to the outside of uh, Frank Shamrock's legs and then puts his legs underneath um, Jeremy Horn's legs like a, a like a four, like a two by four just underneath him and then pulls him back to land up to land on top in a secure position. Uh, but as he does that, that leg that he used to trip Frank Shamrock was still underneath Frank. And then Frank looks down, like you see the whole transition. He looks down, sees the way the leg is facing, and this turns to the side so that his hips are facing the leg and pulls the knee for a knee bar and forces uh, Jeremy Horn to tap. What? What? <laughs> Once again, just what what the hell did I just watch? Like the awareness on the ground to see that his foot was still there while you're on bottom and then drop back for it, pull the leg and extend it. Like that's crazy, dude, crazy. Like in my opinion, that's the equivalent of sitting through on an arm bar like when you're, when you're being slammed. Like that's the equivalent of doing that because you're already on the floor taken down and then you're like oh his leg is still here yank like <laughs> gangsta gangsta shout out to um frank shamrock man jeremy horn pushed him to the limit in this one and he still ends up finding a way to secure the submission victory at 16 minutes and 28 seconds and just like that ufc 17 is all wrapped up what a fight card man like this the names on this one Chuck Liddell, Dan Henderson, Carlos Newton, Tank Abbott, Mike Van Arsdale, Pete Williams, Mark Coleman, Frank Shamrock, Jeremy Horn. Like, come on, bro. Like, the names on this are absolutely insane. And the fights delivered as well, uh, which you love to see. You love to see. Okay. Now it's time to give out our awards. Let me take a sip. Let me take a sip. All right, our first award of the night. Fight of the night. There's a couple candidates in here. There's definitely a couple candidates in here. But I'm going to give it to Dan Henderson versus Carlos Newton because that fight was super close. And a lot of big moments for both guys, like a lot of momentum shifts. Um, Frank Shamrock and Jeremy Horn is also in consideration too, but fight of the night goes to Dan Hendo and Carlos Newton. Next up, performance of the night. That's a good one. That's a good one. Let's think about this. Mm. Hmm. Performance of the night. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it to Tank Abbott. <laughs> I'm going to give it to Tank Abbott. Holy shit. Uh, just another dominant uh, Tank Abbott performance um, versus Hugo Duarte. 
KO of the Knights. This has to go to Pete Williams, right? Pete Williams versus Mark Coleman. That head kick still gets shown in all kinds of highlight reels today. So shout out to Pete Williams there. And then finally, the submission of the Knights. This one's a little hard to pick. I'm going to go with Carlos Newton with the triangle choke against Bob Gilstrap. So let me write that in. Wow. Let me see this real quick. One. It's only his second, I'm surprised, but that's um, the second performance of the night that I gave to Tank Abbott. Um, shout out to Tank Abbott, man, just doing the damn thing. The most tenured fighter in the UFC up to this point and delivering, man. This fight card was awesome. I'm out of breath. I'm tired, uh, but I can't wait to watch the next one. Like this really invigorated me, man, watching this. Couldn't believe. Couldn't believe just how competitive it was. Couldn't believe the names of the U of the UFC that are becoming famous, right? Seeing these guys' UFC debuts and their styles back then. Just an awesome night of fights. So please check out UFC 17 when you get the chance. Thank you so much for checking out the MMA archive. You can find me on Twitter at Negron MMA, as well as on Instagram at ChrisNegron underscore. Uh, also, most importantly, follow the brand OTS Media Co. on all social media platforms, as well as OTS Media on YouTube. You could get all of the podcasts we do, as well as every show that I appear on right there, wherever you need it, as well as on all platforms. So just look up either the Sideline Guys or the MMA Archive. You can find my stuff anywhere you'd like. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. And I can't wait to get back to you guys next Thursday with another episode of the MMA Archive. Y'all have a great night. Thank you so much. And I'll see you next time. Peace.